Well, it's good to see everybody on Tuesday. I hope you're having a great start to the week and just so excited that you're here with us spending this time together, just connecting and uh, resourcing one another. So I'll go ahead and yield the floor to my friend Megan, who's going to introduce our speaker for today. Hi, um, I'm the speaker. It's me. <laughs> Hi, it's me. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited today because um, Solomon for this call has been doing a ministry theme of ministries within your church. And my favorite ministry in the church is obviously women's ministry. And so I'm very excited to talk to you guys today about that um, because I have dedicated a uh, good portion of my 20s and um, up until now, my early 30s, <clears throat> to this women's ministry. But before I get started, I did want to give you guys, my husband told me this really cool quote, and it just made me feel so good, and I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, I know a lot of us lost people during COVID, as in losing them from the church. And um, he was at a conference, and Francis Chan once said, we're the body of Christ, but some of you are the appendix. You don't do much, but you might blow up and kill us all. So all we did during COVID was just remove the appendix. And so now we're good to go. We don't have to worry about it. Um, it's a great pruning process sometimes. But anyway, I thought that was really clever and cute. And I just thought I'd share it with you all so you can use that for a sermon illustration sometime. <laughs> um, I just wanna start by telling you who the Bold Movement is, which is our women's ministry um, that is 100% online. We are dedicated to helping women with biblical literacy, um, apologetics, theology, and practical ministry. And we are created because women's ministry has a tendency to be very surface level and fluff filled. And I'm sure as pastors, a lot of you have heard from your women that they are not satisfied with some of the Bible studies that they have taken. And the reason we started was because I attended one of those Bible studies and during the lesson, they were comparing Rahab to the Proverbs 31 woman. The problem was they were comparing Rahab prior to her conversion. And they made the joke that she works with her hands. And I wanted to crawl under the table and scream, God does not want us to use our hands in that way. When it's talking the Proverbs 31, he wants us to use our hands for his glory and our good. And so we created the bold movement. Um, and I just wanna share why women's ministry is so important. So I have a couple of statistics here because if we start with why, you guys will listen to the rest of what I've got to say. First of all, the worldwide church is 80% female. That means eight out of 10 people in the church worldwide are women. Additionally, um, whenever kids go for questions, um, teens go to their moms 78% for advice, 75% for encouragement, 72% for sympathy, 74% for tangible needs, and 63% for logistical help. What that means is on average, seven out of 10 teens will go to the female for questions about life. Now, if we continue on practicing Christians, 63% go to women for prayer. 70% go to women for conversations about God. 71% go to women for questions about the Bible. And 72% go to women for questions about faith. What we're seeing here is a trend. Seven out of 10 teens will go to women for questions about anything relating to Christianity. I'm gonna be very frank here. Women are not equipped and not trained at the same level that men are. And it's a shame because seven out of 10 kids are going to women for questions about Christianity. If this is the case, and this is what has been going on, I think that's part of the problem with why the church has become so seeker friendly and why the church as a whole, I'm speaking in generality here, um, why the church has got to the place where it is, where biblical literacy is wildly out of control. I think it's because women have not been trained or equipped on how to train the younger generation because we don't know. And you guys are saying, oh no, my women know the Bible. I run an academy. 
And some of your women um, in here are actually part of my academy, which is so much fun. Something that we do prior to our classes is we take a pre-class survey. One of the first classes you take is the good news class. In the good news class, we train on what the gospel is. And women have to tell me what is the gospel and how many times have you shared it? Out of 30 women, three on average are able to tell me what the gospel is clearly and effectively. When we do our biblical literacy classes, a majority of women read the Bible. I would say 93% are reading it three times or more per week, but they can't tell me anything about it. So there's a huge difference in reading and studying, and I'm not trying to like be an alarmist or freak people out. I'm just saying we need to make sure that we're equipping women. <clears throat> Men and women are like fire and water. Okay, we are different elements. We are completely different with different roles and different needs. And I'm asking you today, before I go any further, are you making sure that your women have wood and fuel to continue burning in the fire? Most of the time um, when we talk about church and growth and leadership and what we're paying attention to, there's a lot of emphasis on men. And I think that's fantastic. I know the statistics that say if a man goes to church, 80% uh, of the time, the children and women are going to follow. But if Bud Light and their recent marketing ploy has taught us anything, it's that you can't focus all of your marketing and energy on who you want your audience to be and neglect who your current audience is. And so as you're pursuing and engaging men, make sure that you are equipping women because, again, 80% of the worldwide church is women, and they're the ones who are training and influencing the next generation significantly more than the men are. So let's talk about this. I want to challenge all of the, my pastor friends on this call today. Um, I want to challenge you to just talk with some of the women in your church, and I want you to ask them questions. How do you lead someone to Christ? What is the gospel? Um, can you tell me what your favorite story in scripture is? And can you explain how that points to Christ? Do some very basic foundational questions, and that's going to tell you where the level of your women are. Additionally, I want you to check out your women's ministry. I want you um, to make sure that you're vetting the Bible studies that they're teaching. Some of the Bible studies that we've taken um, compare hookers to the Proverbs 31 woman, and that's just not what God had intended. And so I want to make sure that you are training your women in biblical literacy, and it's not a whole bunch of talking heads who are showing how a dog represents them and how saving that dog is like God saving you. Okay, we need a little bit more substance than that. We live on cupcakes and devotionals, and we need more Bible, meat and potatoes. Um, the second thing is making sure your women know the Bible, biblical literacy, making sure they're studying, not just reading. But the second thing is making sure that your women are confident in what they know. Are you giving them opportunities to teach other women? Are you giving them opportunities to minister? Are you encouraging them to mentor younger women? I'm not saying you need to share your pulpit. I'm not saying you need to let them lead your church or be elders. What I am saying is, um, are they getting the support and encouragement from you to do that for the younger generations and for the spiritually young women in your church? Or are we just kind of handing a Bible after we baptize someone and saying, here you go, friend, hope you, hope you figure it out when it comes to women. Are your women equipped to train other women? In our academy, um, it's an 18-month program, and we train in five areas, uh, practical, biblical uh, literacy, theology, apologetics, practical ministry, and biblical languages. I have had a handful of women on staff at churches who have come through my program. They're Bible college graduates, and they are wonderful people who love Jesus, and their heart is definitely in ministry. But it was kind of shocking to see people with bachelor's degrees who could not tell me what the gospel is. And after explaining the gospel, we're still just not able to communicate it effectively. It was also really shocking to me um, the amount of women who expected other women to lead people to Christ and baptize them as if it wasn't their job, despite the fact that they're Christians, whether you're on staff at a church or not, it's your job to share the gospel and lead people into the kingdom of God. 
In our good news class, it's an 18 month class. There's three lectures and then you spend the rest of the time sharing the gospel. So women in our academy will have shared the gospel 78 times in 18 months. This is, we're very strict on that. You've got to share the gospel. Um, sometimes in Bible college or seminary, when you go, it's a lot of reading books and writing papers, but there's not a whole lot of application. You're not um, challenge to go out and start ministering or sharing the gospel immediately while you're in class. And so <clears throat> based on Bible college and graduate school, I said, no, 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 they're going to start doing practical application immediately. And so we challenge our women to share the gospel every week for 18 months. Additionally, you have to lead someone to Christ and baptize them by the end of 18 months. Typically women's eyes get great big. And I say, sis, <laughs> if you're not doing that, all of this is a waste of our time. You're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. You're just an appendix. So are your women biblically literate? Are your women confident in what they know? Do your women have time? And this is where I want you guys to really listen to me. Women have this horrible sin, and I'm guilty of it, of overcommitting. We feel like our self-worth is based in what we can offer other people. We're nurturers, we want to help people, we want to be wanted. It's just like this thing in us, right? And so oftentimes we're working full-time jobs. A lot of women have kids and they're juggling their kids' schedules, school, sports schedules, being supportive for their kids. They're volunteering at the PTA, they're volunteering at church. They're um, I mean, we are so busy. The biggest complaint I have in women with our ministry is. I don't know that I have time. And I, I want to challenge you guys as pastors. Are you helping your women prioritize? Are you helping them figure out? Are you guarding them from overcommitment? Um, one of the things that our pastors do, and I say that because he's my husband, so it might be because he's my pastor, but it also might be because he's my husband. But he also, um, if people ask me to do something or if I'm someone wants me to volunteer somewhere, He's very um, cautious to guard my time. So no, Megan can't volunteer in the children's ministry this week because she just needs to worship. She's had a very busy week and it's been full of ministering to others and she needs to be replenished. I'm going to ask you guys to challenge the husbands in your church and to challenge the staff in your church and challenge yourselves as leaders to make sure that you're encouraging women to prioritize their time with God. We prioritize our tithe off of the beginning of our salaries, right? The first 10% goes to church, but are we prioritizing our time? And so um, making sure that our women are not making God an afterthought, also making sure that our women are not just reading Jesus calling and saying, that's how I'm growing in my faith. Um, those are cupcakes. Put your Jesus calling down and pick up your Bible. That's, that's one of my favorite things. Put your Jesus calling down. Um, yeah, so making sure that they don't have the sin of overcommitment. So we have these problems, right? We don't we don't know if women are biblically literate. We don't know, and biblically literate, I don't mean are they reading the Bible. I mean, do they know it? Are they comprehending it? Is it something that they are thinking through? Can you find Jesus through all of scripture? Are they trained in how to study the Bible? We can all read it, but do you know how to actually study it and apply it? So are they biblically literate? Are they confident? And is it a priority? So these three questions I have, what is the solution? How do we figure these things out? Let's say that your women are not these three things, because I'm going to tell you, you guys probably think your women are equipped and they're well because they are, you know, crying at baptisms and they're leading people to Christ and they're saying the right things and they're doing the right things in front of you. But I'm, I'm telling you, I think there is, I, I don't want you to be shocked when you have these conversations with them and they don't know. Um, I've had women who have been Christians for 15 years who have never read the gospels. In our academy, you have to read and outline every single book of the Bible. And so we harmonize scripture. We harmonize the four gospels together in Acts. It's one of the first classes you take along with that gospel class. And by the end of it, <clears throat> the women are like, oh my gosh, I've never read the gospels before. 
what they're doing is they're taking little passages or little verses and they're reading it and they're, and they're hiding those little nuggets in their heart, which is fantastic. I will never, ever, ever discourage anyone from reading the Bible ever. But what they're not doing it is reading it in context with extra biblical resources and really knowing what it is. And this is the most important thing that we're ever going to do with our lives is knowing who Jesus is and knowing biblical, what the Bible says. So I've had women who have never read the Bible. I have women who have been Christians for 20 years who can't tell me how to lead someone to Christ. To which I ask them, if you, if you don't know how to become a Christian, how do you know that you are one? And then they start panicking. And I'm like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I'm not trying to make you panic. What I want you to do is think about it. What did you do to become a Christian? There's lack of confidence. What they're doing is they're inviting their friends to church and expecting you to lead them to Christ and expecting you to train them. But as pastors, you cannot disciple every single person in your congregation. And you shouldn't. What we have to make sure we're doing is equipping and raising up other folks who can help in those endeavors. And I'm sure that a lot of you are doing that. But I want to challenge you one more time. Are you doing that with women? Do your women really know what the Bible says and are they able to apply it? Do they know what they believe and why they believe it? A lot of women are really, really scared and intimidated uh, about theology. That's one of our sections. We do biblical theology, historical theology, and systematic theology. And just those titles absolutely freak them out. And they're like, no, I'm not smart enough for that. And I'm like, sis, <laughs> yes, you are. I promise. And so making sure that they know church history, making sure that they have a systematized theology so their theologies are not contradicting one another, making sure that they understand the meta narrative of scripture. Women are the most influential people within the church because they make up 80% of it. You have to make sure your women know what they're talking about and that they're equipped. We are so sick of talking heads in our Bible studies with shallow material that just scratches the surface. We want deep Bible studies that make us think that give us context. We want to know the culture. We want to know the Greek and Hebrew, not necessarily the entire language, but we want to know the little, um, the little dabbles and little insights in there that are going to help us understand scripture more. One of my favorite things to do is to take women to Exodus and explain the Ark of the Covenant. And I say, it's this wooden box covered in gold. And on top of it are two angels. And this Ark of the Covenant has three things inside of it. it has Aaron's rod that budded after it was a rod. It has the Ten Commandments and it has some manna. You can't touch it because that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. The Holy of Holies sits behind the temple veil in the tabernacle. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the priest, the high priest would sacrifice an animal, take the blood of that sacrifice and sprinkle it between the two angels. What does this have to do with Jesus? And they just look at me and I say, guys, that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, you search the scriptures but what you don't realize is that all of the scriptures point to me. So what he's saying is everything in the Old Testament points to him. So how can we take this and make it point to Jesus? And I say, let's turn to John 20. And in John chapter 20, the women go into the tomb and what do they see? Two angels, one sitting at the head, one sitting at the foot. And what would have been between them? The body of Jesus, but he was gone. So it was his blood between them for the atonement of the world forever. So we no longer have to make those sacrifices. This is the stuff women want. Their minds are blown and then they're hooked. I need to know more, teach me everything. I'm telling you, your women can handle it. They crave it. And it's vital for the church and for your growth that they are able to know what the Bible says. So solutions, sorry, got a little off there. I get so excited about that typology in the Old Testament. Solutions, what do we do? Well, the first thing is make sure that your Bible studies are actually studying the Bible. Um, we have, um, <laughs> there is a church that I know of, and I'm not going to name any names, but there's a church that I know of that has Bible studies. And one of their Bible studies is cheese and coffee, where they meet once a week to, to eat different cheeses and fellowship. I love fellowship. I don't like cheese, but coffee's great. So there's nothing wrong with that fellowship, but that is not a Bible study. When the Bible is not open, it's not a Bible study. We need to quit calling things Bible studies that are not that, okay? 
Um, so one, making sure your Bible studies are teaching the Bible and that they're teaching it effectively in a way that women can understand it, can comprehend it, and can reiterate what they've learned. The second thing is making sure that the teachers are good. Um, one of the things that we often do with women in our Bible studies is that we take those books from like Lifeway and then they come with little DVDs that you can insert and then the women in your congregation facilitate. So these talking heads on the television are teaching your women and then the women in your church are just facilitating discussions. I want to challenge you to stop doing that. Because number one, we don't want that. <laughs> I, I've done many surveys with women. They don't want talking heads. They want women they know teaching at their level for what they're experiencing in their life. So make sure that your women are equipped to teach. And maybe that means you bring them under your wing or you have your wife teach them. Making sure that they're equipped to teach the women, creating their own curriculum and just working verse by verse through the Bible. If you're looking for good teachers, I can tell you a ton of women who are great. Um, I'm a big fan of Melissa Kruger. Um, I like Jen Wilkin. I like Nancy Guthrie. Those are solid women. Um, <clears throat> the Bold Movement, we do Bible studies, but ours are not talking head Bible studies. They're, um, they hold your hand as you work through scripture, and we expect the women in your congregation to teach it. We do have leaders guides that make sure that your women are equipped and trained to do that. So making sure that your congregation is teaching your congregation. I think the Bible is a one size fits all, but Bible studies are not. You have some women who are still being spoon fed with pureed peas, and that's totally fine because you got to start somewhere. But you have some women who are eating meat and potatoes. And if we're constantly spoon feeding our women and we're never teaching them how to twirl the spaghetti, you're just going to have a mess. Okay. I hope you guys are getting my metaphors. I'm, I'm a very, uh, I like to use a lot of symbolism. <laughs> All right, perfect. So um, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be this great thing. I want to save time at the end for questions because I know you guys have tons of questions about women's ministry, but it wouldn't be anything if I didn't have a little pitch for our Bull Movement Academy that we're just really excited about. Um, like I said, it's an 18 month program. There's four levels to it. So um, you can sign up for level one, level two, level three, or level four. As I stated before, we do have five areas that we focus on, which is biblical literacy, theology, apologetics, practical ministry, and biblical languages. Um, your women will be sharing the gospel every week for the entire duration of 18 months. Your women will know the gospel and they will be confident in the gospel. They will be bringing people to church. They will be um, leading people to Christ into the kingdom. Our main focus in the bull movement is to grow the kingdom. So that might look like growth in your specific church, but that's not what our focus is. We want to bring more souls into the kingdom of God. We want to make sure your women know what they believe and why they believe it. We want to make sure that they're able to defend their faith because that is a command from God. We want to make sure that they're putting practical application and they're doing things practically and not just taking in all this knowledge and sitting in on it. So I know that was um, a lot of information about women's ministry in a nutshell, and I know I only took 30 minutes, but I don't want to beat a dead horse. And so if you guys have any questions, feel free to unmute yourselves or put it in the group chat. Megan, I just want to affirm your your focus in women's ministry on, on theology, because uh, my experience has been that men are not great readers. Women tend to be readers. They read the books, but many of the books uh, that have good content, some of them also have a flawed theology. And um, I think a lot of times women are get off center because they read the books, they, they embrace the theology, and they don't have that cornerstone foundation of uh, sound biblical theology. So good for you for including that in a curriculum and taking it seriously, and also the practical application stuff, and then bringing women back together to share that. Uh, they will fuel each other's fire. Absolutely. I'll tell you, in our academy, this, this we just started a cohort. The 
way that it's set up, I guess I should explain that. The way that it's set up is there's uh, weekly classes. And so each week you'll take a class, it's pre-recorded. So you watch the lecture, there's uh, homework with it. The homework that is like handwritten on paper is where you outline the Bible. And so every single word of scripture will be read and thought through and meditated on and taught. But then um, all the other classes, your apologetics, theology, practical ministry, those classes are all uh, practical applications. So in your practical ministry, you're sharing the gospel, you're leading people to Christ, you're learning how to baptize, you're learning how to do a communion meditation, um, you're learning you know, what, what to do at weddings and funerals and how to be hospitable, how to visit people in hospice and the hospitals. And so we're also equipping your women to help you in ministry. Um, and then in theology and apologetics, it's having conversations with other people and learning how to do it without being defensive, learning to how to defend your faith without being threatening to the other person, just presenting information and how to keep a cool head in that. So you will learn that stuff each week through, it's like 10 minute lectures, and then there's material that goes with it. And then we meet live once a week for exhortation, encouragement, and questions. Done. The Academy is 100% online. And the pricing, if you have five women from your church who agree to do it, it's $20 a month per woman. <clears throat> we also have, uh, we've partnered with Logos. If any of you are familiar with Logos, um, we've designed a, a library specifically for the Bold Movement. They allowed us to have our own library that's for sale. And it has a lot of reference and commentary sets in it. Um, but it's mostly reference tools. That way, um, I'm just a huge proponent of we need to know what God says about God before knowing what man says about God. And so really equipping women to read scripture and understand it prior to going straight to commentaries or study notes in the bottom of our Bibles. We really teach women how to wrestle with scripture and then how to make sure that they're reading it in context with the correct cultural lenses. No, we do not teach men. I'm sorry. It's just not what I'm passionate about. Y'all have enough resources and tools. <laughs> I had a woman in our, uh, recently in our, we just started an academy in our good news class. They were practicing sharing the gospel with one another. That's one of the first things we do. So you can get familiar with it just so it's comfortable-ish, right? There's just, it, it might always be awkward just because of fear of people's opinions. But they were going back and forth on how do we share the gospel with people who are in our church that we're not sure are saved, but they've been in church forever. And I said, well, Christians need the gospel too. So make sure you're preaching it to yourself and your friends at church as well. That's totally fine. And one of the girls piped up and she said, and just let them know that they deserve it. They deserve the gospel message. They deserve for Jesus to die for their sins. And that's what made me want it. And we had to push back on that because this is the kind of stuff women are hearing. It's um, you deserve all of these things. We had to push back and say, sis, you know, I, I love your heart. I love where you're going with this. But I think that's the beauty of the gospel is we don't deserve it. And that's where grace plays a part. And we got to teach on grace and mercy and the different Christianese words that um, women are not always 100% familiar with. It's just a really good, exciting time. Um, it's a safe place to be wrong. So this is where um, in our weekly meetings, women are able to ask the questions that they want to ask or, hey, I said this and I just want to make sure and we can come back with, well, here's here's in scripture how we can back that up or here's in scripture where we don't want to contradict what God says. And so it's a safe place to learn how to do ministry as women. So I, I've got a few questions. Are you reading a question right now and about to respond to one? Or may I ask a few? Ask away. Okay. So I'm, I'm really big into how things kind of play out practically. And your assessment is great. It's, um, it's, given, me some, it's given me quite a bit to think about. Uh, so I want to ask you four, uh, what, what is kind of four questions. First of all, you had mentioned that women don't have the time, right? And, and one of the things that Women, you know, generally speaking, broad brush, they they overcommit. Um, then, 
what, what I hear you challenging us with is we need to challenge women to spend more of their time learning how to be teachers rather than delegating that out to companies that produce curriculum, mm-hmm. um, which those seem to be contradictions of one another. So I, I would love for you, that's not really a question. It's kind of, can you speak more to that? And then there, there's two others. The, the other is that if we are going to train women, it requires you know accountability because I have, I'll say that I have been training up men within our church to, to preach when I'm, I've, I've decided that vacations are a good thing and I'd like to take some. So we've been training men to preach in our church and I've had incredible results with that. However, it, you have to, I have to work them into, I have to work into their schedules. And so, and it's one-on-one. So I'm just curious, how do you, how have you experienced that practically taking place while still maintaining a high degree of accountability because that could be potentially walking into a dangerous situation. Uh, And then the third thing is how is training a live woman from within our church practically different from finding a woman, a talking head who actually goes deep? Because I will agree that the vast majority of curriculum, not just women's ministry, men's ministry, any ministry, the curriculum is so stinking shallow. And I think we can all agree on that, but that doesn't mean it's all shallow. And so we could find deep curriculum, like I presume yours is. Uh, how, how is training a live woman uh, to go deep different from finding a deep talking head in your language? So that's a lot, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, for sure. So for your first one on time, what my challenge is not just protecting them from overcommitment, but helping them prioritize, right? So um, committing to doing all of these other things and other elements that don't have an eternal impact or don't have a lasting, you're not going to get a reward in heaven for volunteering at the PTA, right? But what I am going to get a reward and what I mean by reward is like pleasing the father. I need to like clarify because we have a lot of prosperity gospel floating around out there. So um, what I'm challenging pastors to do is really make sure and emphasize that women know the importance of spending time in the word and prioritizing that and prioritizing ministry and prioritizing the great commission, which is to make disciples, right? And how do we do that? By baptizing them and by teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. And so if we're not doing that, then we're being disobedient Christians. And if we're living in disobedience, that means we are habitual sinning. And if we're habitually sinning, then at some point we're going to have to question, where is your commitment to Christ? If you're living in this habitual sin, because you're not studying scripture and leading people to Christ, and you're not, um, if you're not growing, you're dying. Right. And so making sure that you're, you're letting your women know this importance and you're not just letting them show up on Sunday and leave, but you're really emphasizing what they're called to do as women of God. That's what I mean by, um, time. Does that make sense? Did that answer your question? Bob Goff's book love does. I think he's got a chapter in there called quit something every Thursday. Mm-hmm. And it's about prioritization and opening yourself up to kingdom building practices. I think I never read the book. I just heard a great sermon on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got quite a few books where I, I do the spark notes. Yeah. Here's second training and accountability. Here's what I would say. Um, I just was at a conference with a guy named Drew Moore and he's got a church out in Las Vegas and he's really interesting and neat how he does things. But one of the things that he convinced me of was that um, every Christian is a priest and too often leadership and pastors are scared to pass the baton because we're scared that people are going to invite heresy and then it's just going to run wild or that they're going to, you know, have moral failure or whatever it is. And at some point, we're just going to have to trust the Holy Spirit, train to the best you can and trust the Holy Spirit. Um, Make sure your other people are equipped in knowledge and Bible. um, So that way, if someone misspeaks, but we can't take that responsibility on ourselves. Um, we're going to have to share that at some point. And I know that's really scary and it's really hard because I've delegated before and I've been burned really bad. And I've delegated before and they have taught incorrectly. 
Um, as a matter of fact, I was just had a girl fill in for me. Um, she, she wanted to teach. And so she was teaching on judges and she said that Delilah was Samson's first wife. And so we talked about it after. And I said, Hey, I just wanted to correct you and let you know that this is different. And she was so like, Oh my gosh. But what I, what it allowed her to do is to go back and say, Hey guys, I misrepresented this and I'm sorry. Um, and it, she got to show humility. She got to show grace and she also learned from it. And I bet you, she never makes that mistake again. So yeah, there's a high level of accountability, but I think we share that level of accountability by equipping people to teach because we can't take that responsibility on by ourselves or we're never going to be able to grow the kingdom. We're just going to have these little fiefdoms and it's just going to be our people. And we don't let anyone talk to our people, but equipping your people to make sure that they know scripture. So when they are taught something wrong, they can come across, uh, fix that with scripture. So may I clarify something? Sure. The, I think what you said is, is it's interesting and valuable. That is not precisely what I meant by accountability though. Oh, okay. I think that is, that is a good point. Um, what I mean is when I, when I've been training men, because I agree, we, we need to train people up. Um, and I need to, I would add to what you just said that there's also, there's a lot of insecurity in ministry in, in the world in general. It's not just ministry, it's everywhere. And uh, we need to be secure enough that we might train someone who does a better job than us, um, which <laughs> I would glorify God for that person. But um, uh, at any you're rate, spiritually mature than I am. At any rate, it's like what I mean by that is it's an intimate setting. And so with men, I go one on one with women. I don't think I would do that. Um, yeah. And obviously, like I can come up with ways that I would here at our church that I would incorporate that. But I'm, I'm just curious if in your experience, you have specific ways or tools or things that you all deploy to create a good environment for men to teach women without any opportunity for evil to be present or um, the appearance of evil to be there. Yes. Now I understand. I apologize. Um, yeah. So that is tricky, right? Because <clears throat> I, when I was in my twenties, I had asked six, six different women to mentor me like a Titus two kind of mentorship. Every single woman said no. And these were women who have been in the church for 15 to 20 years. They were older women who had been in the faith forever and their excuses were, I don't know enough. I don't feel equipped. I'm too busy, whatever the excuse was. Um, and so I'm, <laughs> I say, unfortunately, it actually worked out for me. I ended up getting mentored by a male. And what happened was he just put me in a group of other guys that he was mentoring. So it wasn't like one-on-one, -on -one, it was more like one-on-five. Yeah. And obviously he had a more intimate relationship with them. And it was more of like their personal struggles. I couldn't always talk about my personal struggles. <laughs> because I would say, you know, I'm feeling really insecure because this girl's doing this. And he would say, get over it. And I'm like, mm, it's <laughs> okay. Like <laughs> women are a little bit more in tune with what women struggle with. And so um, there was definitely that, but I ended up marrying him. So if we're not careful with who's mentoring us, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but on a serious note, yeah, um, that definitely worked for me for for what it was. Um, but once those women are trained in those group settings or whatever it is, um, having them train other women is always a plus. Yeah. And so like you can teach, but when it comes to women's issues or whatever that is, um, I know that there's women in your churches who would love to mentor someone. It's almost that they need permission. I know that sounds crazy. Um, like I said, we, we have women share the gospel, right? And so I had one girl come back and she said, Hey, just a quick question. Like, are we allowed to baptize people? And I was like, yeah. And then she baptized like three or four people within the next three or four weeks. It's like, she just needed permission and a little, like, you can do it a little bit of light, you know, like, so yes, uh, accountability. I would do it in group settings. I would not go like you know, 20 to 50 people, because you are going to lose that intimacy, but I would not have any less than three. I'd, do, I'd say three to 12 was probably good um, in training. And then when it comes to like 
the personal stuff, having other women in your church, just mentor. You can teach the Bible, theology, all of that stuff. And then having your other women be the prayer partner or the, you know, person who listens while they cry. Um, your third question, live versus head talking. The difference, the biggest difference I'm going to say is that um, if I'm teaching a group of women live and it's people in my congregation that I know and worship with every week, I know what those people are going through. I know where those people are in their knowledge of scripture. I know where there's people are and where they want to be. Right. And so if I just go straight to um, an Oswald Chambers, that's not a woman, but you know what I mean? If I go straight to um, William Lane Craig and he starts teaching apologetics in my group, those women are going to have no idea what he's talking about. He's sitting there talking about the ontological argument with unicorns. And my women are like, what the heck does this have to do with anything? Because they don't have that foundation. They haven't worked up to that level. What I can do as a life teacher is I can say, here's where we are and here's where we're going to get to, but I'm going to take you step by step instead of throwing you into the deep end without a life jacket. So that's the biggest difference in a live teacher teaching in-depth studies and teaching scripture than a talking head. Thank you. Was that a satisfactory answer? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's giving me things to think about. So as you're talking, I'm imagining various scenarios at, at our church here. So yeah, you're giving me a lot to think about. Thank you. But another thing is I think sometimes when we use those talking heads, we're robbing women of the blessing of teaching other women and experiencing the light bulb moments. And yeah, such an encouragement when you're, when you're talking to women and you're harmonizing scripture and you're saying, you know, um, Paul, when you're reading in first Thessalonians, here's what happened and why he wrote to the Thessalonians and all the women are like, Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. I've read that a million times and I've never caught that. Yeah. Um, one of those moments for me, I was driving with a friend and I was like, yeah. And then you got, you know, Matthew 27, where all the zombies just raise up from the dead. The saints are walking around. And this guy says, he doesn't even think that's real. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, Matthew 27, when Jesus dies and the zombies come up, like the saints come up and they're zombies. And she was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I read it. And of course, it's just two little verses. She said, I have read that a hundred times and that has never stood out to me. Why do you think that is? And we were able to have that discussion. That was like a, yes, we taught, you know? And yeah. I don't want to ever rob a woman of being able to do that because we're listening to talking heads. Yeah. So what you gain is far better than what you lose. What you, what you gain is all of the things that you just mentioned what you lose is the ease of use because we can't just turn on right now media and you know have our time there's a lot of upfront costs yeah i don't want to discourage you from using things that you have like those right now media is not bad right but it's not doing what a woman who is living life with your women it's not doing what she could do Right. I'd like to say one, one thing, too. I appreciate you very much the conversation uh, today. I, our church is a restoration church, uh, Discovery Christian Church We're in Pittsburgh. I see a Steeler hat there in the in the Zoom. Uh, I see you over there, Ro. Um, but uh, uh, we're probably a little bit of an anomaly of a church in the restoration movement. We don't have a ceiling for women in, in leadership at our church. We have women elders, lead team. They teach on stage as well. Um, but I probably my, personally was not there theologically, uh, in my, until I was about 32 when I went to go plant a church and I had, a, you know, when we started thinking about, um, books, like I've heard you guys mention Bob Goff, I've heard you talking about, you know, uh, Francis Chan and they're not part of our movement and things like that. You know, when we start thinking about this area of women in, in, in ministry or leadership, um, you know, we're, we're very cautious about, well, who are we listening to? And, and I totally believe that. That's great. I had one guy uh, who was a mentor in my life hand me a book by, that's not well known, but a restoration church guy who taught at one of our Bible colleges, was the president of one of our uh, old North American Christian conventions. 
the book is called The Biblical Liberation of Women. And I'm just going to throw that there in the, in the chat there if you guys want to look at it. It's very theologically um, uh, well-versed. Um, it was a book that helped me on a journey. Um, which I think all of us, even if it just guides us to being more, um, uh, more, more firm in our own beliefs that we already have, fine, awesome. But I think it's something that could, if it, just, if it stretches us all in, in any way, it could be a good tool for us. So uh, and I'll say that to kind of put any kind of uh, you know, division of any kind, but just hope it helps. And it's helped me in my journey, too, of understanding of what, what kind of church we're going to be and uh, not trying to hijack a conversation either, but just a good tool there. Thanks for sharing, Matt. Anybody else have a question or a comment or maybe uh, something to share what they're doing at their church or an experience they've had? Megan, we've got a... I think a great women's ministry here and, and the ladies that are pouring into our features are following kind of what you've spelled out today, which I just love, but obviously struggling in uh, getting them plugged in for additional training. And like Brenda was talking about, I think that's a touchy thing when it comes to men training women and everything else. And so I love what you said. Um, if we were to take five of those ladies, I was just looking at your website, you can get them signed up. Would you would you say it's better for all of them to go through a cohort together? Would they be plugged into a cohort together? Um, is, that, is that the best way to do that? Absolutely. So something we have found with women who go through our cohorts is it's not just about learning and knowledge, but you also grow closer together because you're going through these um, ministries opportunities together. So you're all sharing the gospel together. You're all getting turned down or having weird, awkward moments. And you're able to laugh with each other and pray with each other and cry with each other because you're spending a good amount of time together for 18 months. And so it also grows you as um, a community of women. Um, and it helps establish that like we're in this together. Uh, another thing that happens in women's ministries, there's a lot of cattiness. Um, if I'm, if I'm just speaking bluntly, there's a lot of like your ministry, my ministry, and like, we have to, we can't work together. Um, and we're real big on, if you're a woman trying to grow the kingdom of God and you believe in the Bible and you're sharing the gospel, we are going to champion you. We are going to like promote you. We're going to get excited with you. We're going to celebrate with you because we're on the same team. We're on team Jesus. And if we can't unify, then like what's, we're missing the entire point. Thank but yeah, I would say to the cohort. <laughs> okay. And I was just looking through your website. I was a little shocked. Um, how what do you know Emily Richardson? Uh, she uh, she co-hosts podcasts with me. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and her, her her parents and and uh, went into ministry with us. And I watched her grow. I remember when she was in diapers, so that ages me a little bit. But uh, oh, yeah, I watched her grow. I had no clue she was involved in, in what you're doing there. So that's pretty amazing. So small world. Yeah, New Church has a cohort with us. So she and Matt Richardson, they have a cohort with the Bull Movement. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll have to follow up with her. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Megan, uh, two quick things that I super appreciate about what you shared with us. Uh, number one was the facts that you shared about 70%, 7 out of 10, 7 out of 10. Would you mind sharing that with us if there's a way to share that? That was really interesting and caught my ear. Uh, the second thing I appreciate is what you said uh, uh, about women. The word that you used over and over is to prioritize. Uh, my wife speaks at a lot of different women's events, and the word that women typically use is trying to balance life. And she's like, you can't balance uh, can't bounce all the balls and spin all the plates. And she talks about prioritization. And so I appreciate what you're sharing there. Our women need to hear that because unfortunately, because the I believe some of the apathy of the men of our church, uh, it's being shouldered and taken on by the women in our church, which is unfair to them. So thank you for what you shared today. Great stuff. For sure. I think simplicity and solitude are spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not chores, they're privileges. And so teaching women to have a simplified life, a simple life, um, where they're able to glorify God through the things that they do is vital to the health of your church and the health of the woman. 
Yeah, those are from Barna. So I'll just give the link to the Barna um, stat and we can shake and put that in the follow-up mail thing, email. And the 80% of women worldwide was from Pew Research, so. Well, thanks everyone for joining today. It was really good to spend time with you. And if you ever want to get connected to Megan for any reason or have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to her. Uh, she has a couple different email addresses. Uh, she has one at the Solomon Foundation on our website. That's probably the easiest way to find her if you don't already have her email address. Um, or email me, and I'm happy to connect you as always. Uh, Dr. West, do you mind praying for us? Absolutely. Thank you, Renee. And uh, Megan Rawlings, I am so blessed that you are part of uh, the ministry. And uh, I am definitely a Megan Rawlings fan, president of your fan club here in California. So thank you for what you're doing. You're an inspiration. Um, and uh, love your vision, love your passion. So thank you for sharing with us. And I, know, I, I also want to say it's uh, you know, speaking to a whole bunch of men, mostly men, um, on a, a session is, is, could be, uh, somewhat intimidating, but you did a great job and we love you and appreciate you. Just want you to not have a vulnerability hangover once the call is done. Let me pray for each one of us. Father God in heaven, thank you so much that you have, uh, called us all to ministry and thank you for what you're uh, doing in and through Megan and the bold movement. Lord God, your word is precious to us. We've staked our lives on it. And we just uh, love to be able to uh, continue to be part of the solution to what this world so desperately needs. Father God, I also, on behalf of all the leaders here, I just want to pray for Jonathan Sams, uh, who is the uh, attorney for the Solomon Foundation that has uh, has uh, so many run-ins with cancer, and this last one with uh, pancreatic cancer is uh, of, of great concern. Lord, we just pray that you would you would heal his body. He's such he is uh, such an inspiration and such a help to the kingdom of God. And we just pray that your hand of uh, blessing, healing, and protection would be upon Jonathan and Julia and uh, their family. So as we go from this place, Lord, we just ask for uh, your blessing on our lives in whatever way we need it to be able to impart faith and wisdom uh, to the people that you have given us to lead. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the Solomon Foundation, how you're using them in such a vital way to uh, bring the gospel to people who are yet to uh, commit. So, Father God, uh, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.